You're listening to the podcast, So You Want to Be a Writer, with Valerie Koo and Allison Tate. Valerie is an author, journalist, and national director of the Australian Writers Centre, which is one of the world's leading providers of online and classroom courses for people who want to get published and write with confidence. Alison Tate is an Australian freelance writer, blogger, and author with more than 20 years professional writing experience. Each week, they explore the world of writing, publishing, and blogging to bring you news and opportunities, advice on how to succeed in the world of writing, interviews with top writers, and much more. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 25 of So You Want to Be a Writer. My name's Valerie Koo, and I'm here with the awesome Alison Tate. How Hi, are you? Val. <laughs> <laughs> I'm awesome. <laughs> you are. What have you been up to this week? Um, well, I've been I've been writing because I'm still madly working on book three of the Mapmaker Chronicles, but I've also been somewhat distracted because, um, as mentioned last week, we had a puppy move in on Sunday and oh. I have named him Procrasty Puppy <laughs> because he is basically the ultimate procrastination tool. And if you can hear whimpering in the background, that will be him because he really wants to be playing with me right now and I'm talking to you. Oh, <laughs> and what's Procrasty Puppy's real name? His real name is Scout, but I think Procrasty Puppy actually works better for him. That's very literary. It is very literary. I've, I managed to get it past the committee finally because I don't know, um, where, well, you, you may not have ever had to do a com- uh, naming a dog by committee before, but we have been through everything from Bat Dog Ugh. to Jet to Ranger to so many different names before we could come up with something that everybody agreed was going to work. Wow. You know? Ranger sounds um, like it should be a, a, the protagonist in a Matthew Riley novel. Well, it was all about the um, the boys are quite obsessed with the Ranger's Apprentice, you oh. see, um, the book series by John Flanagan. So um, Mr. Ten has read them all and Mr. Seven is on his way through them as we speak. So rangers and bows and arrows and all sorts of excitement, you know, cloaks. They've both got cloaks. So there's a lot of, you know, flinging themselves around the backyard with bows and arrows. Lovely. And will you put a photo in the show notes? I will put a photo of Procrasty Puppy in the show notes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, um, Izzy, you went with the ki- To Kill a Mockingbird reference in the end. Well, we we did go with that, although my oldest son thinks that it's because he joined Scouts last year. Oh, of course. So he thinks it's all about him, but secretly I know it's not. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Well, there have been no new puppies on my front. Right. Um, What has been new? Well, let's see. I went out last night. Goodness me. Like, this is a bit of... I know. Well, it was meant to be my um, birthday dinner, but my birthday was three months ago. So we've been a bit busy. Right. <laughs> and it's taken a while to get around to it. Yes. Uh, so finally went to Red Lantern on Riley Street in Sydney, which was lovely. Um, and for, you know, non-Sydney ciders who may not know, that's uh, Luke and Pauline Nguyen's uh, restaurant, their brother and sister, and many people will know Luke from many of his many books. Um, yes. Not to mention TV series and all the rest Another. of it. <laughs> Other stuff. Yeah, a bit of merchandising there. Good on yes. you, Luke and Pauline. Um, yes. So yes, that was lovely. And did you feel? Did you find that a creative experience? Were you? Was your creative well filled by that particular experience? Um, 
It was inspiring in terms of the decor. I mean, the food was mm. awesome, but mm. in terms of creativity, it uh, inspired my creativity in terms of maybe having one of the rooms in my house, perhaps inspired by that Indochina kind of feel. It was lovely. It was very much something like a scene out of The Quiet American, if you've ever seen that mm. or, or read it. Yes. <laughs> of course. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, so, yes, it was lovely. Excellent. But in terms of the world of writing and publishing and blogging this week, I came across a cool uh, um, article and it was really the title of it that grabbed me. And it was, if you want a picture book deal, write picture books, not magazines, (laughs) (laughs) which is so true. And basically the writer Tara Lazar talks about the fact that she was given what she feels was bad advice when she was, you know, wanting to write picture books. And that was somebody told her, well, you should write short stories for magazines. And she spent all of this effort, A, writing short stories, which are not picture books, and mm. trying to pitch them to magazines, which is very difficult because very few magazines actually feature short stories these days compared to, you know, 15, 20 years ago. And um, she, she came to this realisation <laughs> that, um, you know, she should be spending her time writing picture books, which brings me to ask, have you ever had some, you know, dud advice or her dud advice that you wish people wouldn't, you know, disseminate to people about um, the art of writing or about trying to get published? Um, I'm just trying to think about that. And I think that probably the only thing that that really resonates with me at the moment, um, as far as, you know, questionable advice is people, like it's that whole question of should authors, um, should they blog should they be on social media or or should they devote all their time to writing the perfect novel? Mm. And you, there are most decidedly two camps on that particular debate. Um, but I do believe that people say that, uh, that the book is enough um, are probably not giving most writers the, the, the right advice. I think that there's so much more to it these days. And I do think that, yes, you do have to write an amazing book. Um, but there are so many amazing books out there that I never read. Yeah. So yeah. I, that, that's probably, the, for me at the moment, that's probably the biggest one is just this notion that you need to lock yourself away in a garret and just concentrate only on writing a book. Yeah. Um, I think you've really got to be um, aware that networking and, um, you know, that dreaded word platform building is is part of the gig now and I think you'd really need to think about it like that. I don't think you can think I'm just going to sit in my bedroom and write a book. It's not going to work like that. Mm. So that's probably the most questionable advice I see around at the moment. And But I, I am aware that, there, as, we, as I said, there are two camps on that particular question mm. and both sides are vociferous in their... Yes. <laughs> in their particular um, point of view. But what about you? Have you seen any particularly, you know, questionable um, advice out there? You would be yes. the one who would see it, I would imagine. <laughs> well, I a couple of things. First, I think that, um, you know, while I – like I do totally embrace this wonderful world of technology that we live in and the fact that you can publish your own book these days. It's very easy to get a book up onto Amazon if you really wanted to. Um, oh. But I think what – is not helpful is when people say, yeah, just write your book and you can just publish it on Amazon tomorrow. And Mm. while, yes, that is absolutely physically possible, I think that people then feel that they can bypass the um, important aspects of um, 
structural editing and rewriting and revising and really making the book as, you know, the best it can absolutely be because they're also told, if you want to change things later, it's easy technologically. You just, you know, put up a new version. But then, you know, you're not putting up your best work to start off with. So I think that even though, yeah, it's great that we have this opportunity, it's important not to waste it in a sense yeah yeah by just putting up stuff that really isn't quite up to par just that's yet. right you've always like whatever you put out there has to be your best work yes every time every single time and you might get cranky at me for this but mm-hmm. um i just want to say though when you said that dreaded word platform building i think <laughs> that it's important as authors for us to embrace the concept of platform building because what it, it's it's part of life Oh no, I agree, and I'm I, I'm not. It's it's just the word. I embrace the concept, uh, but I, I find the I just find the word to be a little bit sort of. I think I just wish there was another phrase for it because I always <laughs> feel like I'm out there constructing a scaffold, you know, <laughs> which you know may not be quite the image that I need to have in my head. Sure. Anyway, yeah. So. Um, you have a link about the best suggestion I ever got from my editor and that's your yes, random house. It's, it's a random house link and it's, um, it's a list of, um, authors, um, who are sharing the best advice that they ever received from their Penguin Random House editors. And it is, um, quite an interesting little list. There's eight points to it. Um, there were just a couple that really resonated with me. So they, they talk about playing the long game about how you, you need to think, you know, like a writing career is a marathon, not a sprint. It's mm. that sort of stuff. Um, using detail judiciously, like in the sense that I don't know anybody who's ever sat through pages and pages and pages of description will understand how important that particular um, point is. Um, but there were a couple that kind of got really um, interested for me and one of those was keep sight of the so what um, mm. and that th- in this particular instance that author is talking about non-fiction projects um, but I think it, re- it works really well for fiction as well I think that it can, when you're writing fiction you can get so carried away with the with what's going on that you forget that every scene has to count every mm. single thing that happens in that book has to drive the story forward or or, or add to the picture that the the reader is getting and um i know that um sometimes like my editor came back to me with uh, book two of of my of my series and just said to me there's just a whole chunk in the middle of this that we don't need mm. and i mean what do you mean we don't need it and she said well it's information that could go elsewhere and if we put it elsewhere, then the pacing of the story is going to be so much better. And when I looked at it with those words resonating in my head, I was like, you know what, you are so right. And so I, that's what I did. I changed the, changed things around, added some more action, did a few different things. Mm. And then it's a much better book. So that was something that, that was important. And the other point that really resonated with me in this particular blog post was it's your name on the book. And that is something that I think Mm. that I've had to learn as I've been, working through my fiction career um, and actually I wrote a blog post about this myself and it's the difference I, I'm very very used to editing features and being edited by a features editor and I know exactly what those particular people want and what they want you to do is write to the brief yes they want to give you the commission brief and that they want what they expect yeah. and you and, and I'm, I'm really good at that like I've been doing that for a long time now so when I wrote fiction 
and I'd get my brief, my sorry, my notes back from my editor, I would sort of set to trying to give the editor exactly what she wanted. And in the process of that, I would sometimes lose control of the story. So I think people need to understand that when you're um, writing fiction and editing fiction, you set the brief. The brief is yours. Your name is on the book. So you're the one that has to, you know, create this product that the editor is also happy with, but that you're happy with. And at the end of the day, that's what's important. So I'm going to put the link to my um, post in the show notes as well on that. But, um, yeah, did you have a look through that? Have you ever received, because you, of course, write nonfiction, mm. what's the best suggestion you ever got from your editor? Oh, that's a really good question. <laughs> I'm so glad you asked me that, Alison. <laughs> yes, because I have a prepared answer. <laughs> she says thinking on the spot. <laughs> yes. no, Did you um, ever receive a good one? Uh, oh, yeah, I had a really good editor for my um, for my last book, Power Stories, and um, I've recommended him to lots of different places. He was, you know, via Wiley, but he is a freelance um, editor, and um, he was really good. I guess what was my strength is structure when it comes to nonfiction, so I was really lucky in that on many of the structural aspects we agreed on. But he definitely, you know, you're just so close to it, aren't you? And even though you're yes. an experienced writer, some a good editor can absolutely even improve your turns of phrases and stuff like that. Um, I certainly went back to him certain things saying, no way I'm changing that. It's my favourite line in the whole book. <laughs> but but in, in many instances I did take his advice because, you know, he's coming at it with a fresh eye. But I yes. thought what was interesting, what you were just mentioning about chucking out the bits, you know, keep side of the so what, is that often I edit other people's stuff and I read yeah. a lot of fiction yeah. um, to, you know, give my opinion as a reader to people. And I can immediately identify those areas that are so what. But I can also, what's interesting, I can always tell the areas that somehow they're based in real life. And the oh, yeah. author has just wanted to include it because it's about their mom or wanted yeah, to yeah. include that scene because then their kid would be really happy or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I think that's kind of interesting when they've, you know, fictionalized those aspects in order to give a nod to somebody in their life. But it just doesn't belong in the story at all. No. And it's it's and that's what it, it's what I find so interesting about it too is when you're, in, when you're editing other people's work, you can see it so clearly. So clearly. All that stuff. You do one read and you're like, no, nope, get rid of that. Mm. No, nope, that's it. When you're doing your own, oh. it's completely different. <laughs> yes. I just, you know, I read other people's fiction. I'm like, no, nah, it's not working. You need to do this. Yep. And, and it's completely what they need to do. Yep. I look at my own. It's probably the same problem. Yeah. And I don't see it. It's funny, isn't it? Crazy. Yeah. It's why it's so important to have a team around you, you know, yeah. of good people. Um, but let's move on to uh, another link that um, I found that's called How I Became a Productive Freelance Writer After Failing in Year One. Oh. And um, she's given some good tips and um, I'll just briefly mention them. Schedule each working hour, which I think is really, really useful. And, yeah. um, and you yeah. know, one of the best pieces of advice somebody gave me was uh, get out of your pyjamas first thing you know and um and also I know a guy who used to obviously get out of his pajamas but also drive around the block so that he just would drive into his driveway and feel like he was coming to work yeah yeah um but another thing in this link it was spend time improving your craft which is important because sometimes you can just get caught up in the daily grind and that you 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 don't um 
you know, you do exercises to hone your craft. But the thing that I think is really important, um, it, well, she's also said invest in professional development and stop researching magazines and companies and start pitching them. Yeah. <laughs> like I went to a friend's house and she had every magazine on her lounge room floor. It was like covered. And I said, what are you doing? She said, oh, I'm researching, you know, this type of magazine so I want to pitch this story. You know, four weeks later, the magazines were still all there and she hadn't pitched the story yet. No, she was busy reading magazines. Exactly, <laughs> which is, yes, is important. But the one I wanted to mention is avoid content mills and bad websites. Yeah. And I think there are, you know, two levels of content mill these days. It's interesting how the publishing industry has evolved. But there's the content mills that literally pay you five, ten dollars Oh, my God, avoid them like the plague. You will not pay your mortgage no. on 5 or $10. No. But there are the content mills like, um, you know, and they don't call themselves content mills. They call no. themselves content providers or content marketing agencies yeah. like King Content in yeah. Sydney. And it's interesting because I, you know, had, had, saw an exchange on a freelance forum this morning and, and they were bemoaning the fact that um, – King Content was only paying their particular job um, 50 cents a word. And it's like, well, yes, it's not the highest word rate, but also even though they may charge, and I don't know what they charge, but let's just by way of example say that they charge their client a dollar a word, the reality is they're the ones who have salaries to pay for sales reps. They're the ones with the relationship with the client. Um, If you want to establish your own relationship with the client and get a dollar a word, go for it. But get out there, network, you know, go and, you know, meet the clients, go put the sales proposal in front of them. That's, you know, that's kind of the way it's going to work if you choose to write for those agencies. If you want to get the higher rate, deal direct. But also I have to say um, 50 cents a word for internet work is actually pretty good these days. Yeah, well, I'm not sure what kind – I'm not exactly sure what kind of job it was, whether it was an article or whether it was internet work, but, you know. But still, it's – yeah, the the reality is if you want your dollar a word, you need to go out there and, you know, not expect somebody to get the work for you. No. So, that's my little rant for this morning. Okay, well, that was lovely. I have to say that I'm (laughs) – I really enjoyed that. Um, Thank you very much for sharing. Um, That – Schedule each working hour, I think, is one of the biggest things that I learned as a new freelancer. I really had to – that was something that that um, – because, you, you know, there, there is that dreadful tendency to think, oh, I'll just go for a walk yeah, and I'll have a coffee and I'll absolutely. do whatever. Um, but I block out time. And the other thing that I think is really important is to block in time for social media mm. and not do it outside of the times that, you, you know, that you've allocated yourself. I give myself you know, some time in the morning. Every morning I sit down and I check all my sites and I do my bits and I say hello and whatever. And then I close it down. And I go and do yep. other things. And people say to me, oh, my God, you're, you know, you're there all the time. And I'm like, no, I'm not. Mm. And they're like, no, but you are because I saw it. And I'm like, no, what you see is me scheduling things mm. and then popping in for five minutes a couple of times a day. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. So I think that that's something to bear in mind as well. Yeah, that's a good one. And also mm. tell your friends that you're working. When I first started freelancing, <laughs> my friends would just think like, oh, I'll just come over for a coffee. Yeah, I'll just pop in. You want to have lunch? Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> you can't be here. <laughs> so what's our writing craft book this week? Ah, well, I've done some cleaning up at home, oh. which is always exciting. Procrasti cleaning. 
I've been procrasty cleaning. I've been procrasty puppying. I've been very procrasty, haven't I? You can tell I'm writing. Yes. <laughs> um, and as I was cleaning off the bookshelf in my study, I found my – I've got a little sort of section of writing books. And I found a book that was actually um, sent to me a few years ago by a good friend of mine, Alex Brooks. And it's a book called No Plot, No Problem – a low-stress, high-velocity guide to writing a novel in 30 days. And it's by Chris Beatty, who is um, the founder of National Novel Writing Month, otherwise known as NaNoWriMo. Mm. Um, and it basically talks about, you know, how you start with a sentence and off you go. Um, and you, by the end of 30 days, you will have 50,000 words. Now, I just think it's worth, um, it's a story, it's a thing that's worth bringing up because for two reasons. One is that, you know, NaNoWriMo is on its way. And if it's something that you're interested in, um, in doing this year, then maybe it's worth having a read of this book first to see how it works. Because it, essentially, um, it's around. It's about um, pressing forward. I think too many people will be just trying to write a book, and they spend days and days and days and weeks crafting their first three pages oh, yeah. before they move on. Um, this is about pushing, pushing forward with the story, getting the words down, and then once you've got 50,000 words on the page, you can go back and you can move them around and do whatever you want. Um, and there's a great quote around, uh, you know, that swings around the internet occasionally um, that basically says that you, you can't edit a blank page. Yes. <laughs> and it's a great it's – it's something that I always bear in mind when I get stuck with my writing mm. – I just keep writing. Something comes up. It's a really interesting thing. If you just keep going, things happen. Yep. Um, if you stop, nothing happens. Exactly. And then you have nothing to edit. Um, so this is this is definitely, if, it's some, if you're finding that you're getting bogged down with editing and you're not making progress and you've got the same 5,000 words that you've had for six months, yep. then this is a book that I think is really worth having a look at. So no plot, no problem. I love that. I haven't actually read that. I'm going to get that. Yeah. yeah, well, it's yeah, it's 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 definitely worth reading. And with regards to our um, our writer in residence coming up in a little while, uh, it's it's definitely something that I'll, I'll mention again because there's quite an interesting piece of information about her. Okay. But we're not up to her yet, okay. so let's talk about something else. <laughs> Get ahead of yourself, I don't know. <laughs> well, I'm just going to like keep you in suspense a little bit. <laughs> so, um, what's happening in the world of blogs this week? Well, this week I just thought I'd highlight a blog that I'd really um, enjoy. It's a one of those, um, what do you call them? A, uh, I don't want to call it a blog by committee, a conglomeration blog. Multi-author blog. Multi-author blog. Thank you. That's a much better term. <laughs> um, it's called The Kill Zone mm. and it's basically 11 top mystery and thriller writers who blog together. So great. you get a whole range of different um, perspectives and it's a really great blog. I, I often find interesting posts on there about different things and if you like you know, thrillers, crime books, that sort of stuff, then it is definitely for you. Um, but they had a post on there uh, earlier this week by James Scott Bell and it's called Agents Behaving Badly, which oh. of course, you know, I love. I was just, I was there. As soon as I saw that headline, yeah. I thought I'm going to see what that's about. But what it's about, and it just sort of, I guess, adds to the conversation we had a few weeks ago about, you know, write, about author-agent relations and how important it is to know where you are with that particular relationship. Mm. Um, it's about sort of three things that agents can do that, that really devalue what they can do for you. Mm. And uh, he talks about the throw-it-against-the-wall agent um, who is maybe someone who's not maybe as discerning about their clientele as they could be. They just take on everything in the hopes that they'll manage to sell something. Mm. And what that basically means, however, is that if you're one of those take-on-everything clients, yep. then maybe you're not going to get the attention that you deserve um, as far as that goes. So, you know, his, his 
take home from that is sign with an agent who has a track record or comes highly recommended. You know, like really research who it is that you that you want to pitch as your agent. Absolutely. Um, don't just get a, don't just get excited that an agent wants you. Well, if, and, and, you know, if they've got no track record, that's really hard to do too. Like I know people get it, you know it is difficult to say no, but you really do have to think about this as a business relationship mm-hmm. and what is this relationship going to do for you as much as what is this relationship going to do for your agent? You know. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, so that's just a a, a, um, a post that I found interesting. But overall, I really enjoy the blog and I think it's worth having a look at. Mm-hmm. I think that's a really good point about the agents because I think I mean most agents that I meet are absolutely you know bona fide and full of integrity and they're great and they absolutely do the right thing by their clients. But what was interesting is that I've met a couple of agents in the last, I suppose, couple of months who I've met them at events and they're, you know, like festivals or literary related events. And Mm. I'll chat to them and they'll say, oh, there's, he's, you know, I'm an agent. They give me their card. And the first telling thing I, I, you know, that is a giveaway is their card looks a bit... (laughs) dodgy and I and I go oh um so you know who do you represent and they give me some names and I haven't heard of them but that's okay because obviously I haven't heard of every author in the world and especially if they haven't you know yet been published and I say and I say okay who you know who have you signed up and they go oh well no one yet (laughs) and I'm kind of like oh why you know like I know we all have to start out at some point but then my next question is usually well you know have you previously worked as a publisher and editor in a publishing house because you know they sometimes uh, uh, become agents and they still have the contacts they've got the experience all of that and I'm one lady said to me no but I read a lot of books Right. And like say, so don't sign with an agent like that, even though it's exciting to hear that someone's interested in you, you know, you need um you you need somebody with experience who's actually going to deliver. Yeah, well, and and just on that point, my agent, um, Sophie Hamley, was an editor prior to becoming an agent, and I find that invaluable. I have um, had experience with editors in the past, sorry, agents in the past who were not, Mm. and so, because there are different types of agents that approach the whole business in a slightly different way. Mm. I like a collaborative, I I just really like a collaborative approach. You know, she reads it, she gives me feedback, and and I like that. It works for me, it won't work for everyone. But um, it's worth finding out what, you know, what your relationship with your agent is going to be like. And someone who reads books and has had no experience is probably maybe not <laughs> going to be quite what you're after. No. So no. who? let's move on then to who is our writer in residence this week? Well, excitingly, and I am excited because it's fantastic, our our, our editor, gosh, I'm doing well, aren't I? Mm -hmm. Our writer in residence this week is the New York Times bestselling author, Leanne Moriarty. And we had a fantastic chat. And the reason that I brought up the No Plot, No Problem book earlier is that one of the most interesting things I found out during this discussion is that she writes without a plot. She starts with her first sentence mm. and off she goes. And you know, it's a, it's you know, it's it's a very definite style of writing. And uh, I had a fantastic chat with her about that because I tend to write a little bit like that myself. So here's Leanne, and uh, I think you'll really enjoy this. Leanne Moriarty's fifth novel, The Husband's Secret, was the fourth highest selling novel on Amazon for 2013. It sold more than one million copies in the US, was a number one bestseller in the UK, and was named as one of the top ten books of the year by People magazine. It remains on the New York Times bestseller list. Now comes her sixth novel, 
Big Little Lies, which begins with a school trivia night. Welcome, Leanne. Thank you so much, Alison. So, firstly, let's talk a little bit about Big Little Lies. Was your sixth novel any easier to write than your first, Three Wishes? Um, no, no, it, was, <laughs> it wasn't. Don't I don't think <laughs> I don't think they get any easier, really. Um, to me, I'm I'm still very interested in the writing process, and I'm always looking at what other authors do because I don't think I've. I don't think I've worked it out yet, so no, each time it's still it's still just as terrifying. And I guess this time I also had the the weight of expectations um, because The Husband's Secret had done so much better than my other novels, so, uh, so it was even scarier. Well, I was going to ask you about that because, you know, that we're, we're talking about some big numbers and some fairly impressive lists and all sorts of exciting things going on there with The Husband's Secret. And I guess, you know, does, does that increase the pressure? It, well, well, it did because, uh, um, for example, my American editor sent me an email um, saying, you know, you took a darker turn with this book and, and readers seem to like that. So, but basically what the point of the email was, she was saying, do that again. <laughs> um, so, so I had to, you know, I really had to think. I, d- I didn't want to get caught in that trap of writing to a formula, thinking, okay, you did this, just do exactly the same thing again. Um, but but I didn't. I do appreciate that readers did seem to like the fact that my other books are focused on relationships, but I took a slightly darker turn. Uh, and I enjoyed taking that turn, so I, I, I did that again. Okay, so when you sit down to write in this, this sort of um, instance, you know, are there... Is it um, is it more difficult to concentrate on your own voice in your head telling you what to do when you know there there are those other voices saying do that again? Uh, yes, it is. But in the end, I, I, you'll become paralysed if you if you listen to them. You just have to say be quiet now, uh, <laughs> and uh, and eventually, once you get caught up in the story, then well, then it's just finishing the story. And because I'm not a planner. I'm wondering what's going to happen. So eventually, once I'm a few chapters in, then then I'm fine. Because okay. it's bad luck. I'm on this track now, so I just have to finish it. Okay, so you are a person who writes by the seat of your pants. You start I am, with nothing. Yes. yes, I am. Wow. I keep wondering if I'll change, but um, so far that's the way I've, I've, I've done it. How do you feel that that affects your writing process? Do you, do you find that you write yourself into corners, or do you... Um, are you one of those people that writes the whole thing out and then goes back and redrafts heavily? How does it How does it work? Uh, no, I don't. I don't. Uh, well, I, f- I find for me because I'm. I don't know what's going to happen next. I do have a terrible habit of going back and editing what I just wrote the day before because that's easier than uh, not knowing what's going to happen. So therefore, at the end. I don't have to go back and redraft, right. um, but uh, and for me it makes it more interesting. But as I said, it also makes it a more fearful process. So that's why I do wonder. I'm I'm always ready. I'm ready to change. If uh, <laughs> you know, I, I, I read about other authors who have it all planned out and how they they therefore write quicker. So maybe when I grow up, I will. And how long does it take you to write a book? Uh, it's, I think it takes a year. I can never work out how long it actually takes because because I've got two small children um, and because I'm writing in between other things. So I'm always interested to know how long it would take me if somebody locked me in a room and I just did nothing else but write. Um, 
so I, I, th- I say a year. Do you write every day? Like I know that you're working around children and other things and school trivia nights, clearly, which we will get to in a mm-hmm. moment. But do you uh, do you sort of try to set aside time every day to write or...? Not, not every day. I, t- I treat it more as, as my job, so um, Monday to Friday. When I'm nearing the end um, and I'm on deadline, I might take some time during the weekend, but otherwise it's just uh, when I can get childcare. Do you have an ending in your mind? Like I know that you write, I mean, particularly like given the, so let's just talk a little bit about Big Little Lies for a minute. You know, it's it begins at the school trivia night, someone dies, do you know who did it right from uh, the start? So, no, I didn't know who did it. No, oh. I didn't know, uh, and I can't. I can't remember if I knew even who. I, I can't remember now if I knew who died. I must have known that fairly early on. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh, I think about a third of the way through, I probably knew right. who did it. I'm, I'm trying to remember now the process. And is that like a thank God moment? Like you've worked yeah. out. <laughs> yes, it always is. So, for example, with the husband's secret, I I put my characters in a terrible situation, and then I'm thinking, I don't know how I'm going to get them out of it. So, I definitely remember the moment when I worked out with them um, what I was going to do. I can't I can't remember with uh, Big Little Lies. It's so I find it really tricky often to look back and think, how did that all come about? It is um, but I, I know there's no bit of paper with it all structured. I know that for a fact. <laughs> Are you always then, I mean, obviously a lot of your writing, particularly given that you're working around a family and things, a lot of your writing must be going on at the back of your head all the time as you sort of try to tease out these things? Exactly, yes. So I remember I was driving the car. I was. I remember exactly where I was on my way home from the gym when I worked out the ending to The Husband's Secret. I know the set of traffic lights where I worked oh, really? out. And the relief was enormous. Yes, yes, definitely. <laughs> yes, so definitely, and also going for walks. I find walking. Um, I'm always thinking then of plots and things. So yeah. And are you always are you always sort of gathering ideas? Have you, like have you got your next book? Do you know what it's going to be about? I I haven't got my next book, so I'm in that stage of um, of just thinking and and yes, yes, definitely, always looking for ideas. Okay. Um, mm. And so you don't sort of just, you don't sort of, you're not one of those people. Like I remember doing a workshop with Sue Wolf once many, many thousands of years ago. And it was a fabulous workshop because it showed me that people work in incredibly different ways. And she is yeah. one of those people that will go for a walk and she will see something and she will come home and she will write a little piece about that. And then she will go and overhear a conversation on a train and it will spark something and she will go home and write a bit about that. And then as it all comes together, she realizes that she has a book, which I just found extraordinary. Um, Do you do that sort of thing? Do you sort of like write down conversations that you hear or? I I definitely, I definitely do that. Uh, Yes. I don't know, but I seem to need an actual premise. So uh, I've got little little bits and pieces that I write down and they might uh, come in useful, but I don't think it happens the way it, um, it happens with Sue. With, mm. It then forms a novel. I seem to need to have an actual idea and then, then I'll go back and think, oh, good, I could use that little, that little scene, that little conversation. Okay, so the idea 
for this one, I found fascinating, like this this sense of, you know, everyone will have their experience of the school trivia night. No one's ever died at one that I've been at, but there have been <laughs> times when there could have been blood on the dance floor. Um, so did you find the inspiration for this book at one particular evening of your own, or did it come from elsewhere? No, I haven't actually been to a school trivia night. The school where my children are at, and, and I'm still relatively new to being a school mum, um... And they haven't they haven't done a school trivia night yet. It was well, they actually won't do one now, will they? <laughs> no, they won't. No, that's <laughs> you, right. You've failed that forever more. Yes. <laughs> so, so where, um, where I, then? My, did the idea my friend, from? Uh, the author Burr Carroll. Oh yes. I was on a little book tour with her, and we were looking. We had time in between events to do some shopping, and we were desperately looking for. Uh, she was dressing up as Audrey Hepburn, and so we were looking for uh, beads and things for that, and so uh, beads, you know, the long beads yeah, you yeah, need yeah, and all yeah, that. Yeah. Uh, and that seemed to stay in my mind, and that's when I got this. And I think all of her table, yes, yeah, she was at a table, and they were all dressing up as Audrey Hepburn, uh, and that stayed in my head as a visually interesting. It's great, thing. isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I asked her if, I, and that's when I came up with this idea about. The men are all dressed up as Elvis, and the women are all dressed up as yeah. as Audrey. And I asked her for permission to to use that. <laughs> and she said, "Take it; it's yours." <laughs> she did. <laughs> I said, "Do you know?" I said, "I've written too much, too bad. I have to take it." <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's, yeah, it does come down to that. So you come from a writing family. Your mm. sisters Jacqueline and Nicola are also published novelists, which I think is amazing. The conversation at your house must be terrific. Um, <laughs> And um, I read that you wrote your first novel, Three Wishes, in a fit of sibling rivalry. <laughs> I, I did, definitely. So it was because Jackie um, uh, had written her first book, Feeling Sorry for Celia. So she'd basically gone ahead and achieved our, our childhood dream. Um, and I hadn't even tried. So I always say if it wasn't for Jackie, I know that I wouldn't have ever... I would have kept thinking about it and I would have kept writing first chapters that didn't go anywhere, but she it was because of her success that pushed me to actually finish finish Three Wishes. And so is writing a competitive sport in the Moriarty household? Uh, uh, no, I don't think we're competitive. Um, no, I mean, it was competitive in that I, I really wanted to be published too, uh, and and I was inspired, and I was jealous. I definitely admit that. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't think now we're. I don't think we're now we're competitive. I think now that we're all published, we're genuinely happy for each other. I know we are very competitive when it comes to materials. So for family stories and things like that, we get pretty mad with each other. If you use them up. Yes. So and have, Nicola, they, have you exploited everything that ever happened yet, or is there more to come? I think there's more to come. But oh. Yes, Nicola used something, and we were so cross that she had taken a, a good family story. <laughs> <laughs> Only because she got in first, right? That's right. Well, I'm the eldest. I should get them all first. <laughs> you absolutely should. As another eldest, I would say I totally agree with that. You should have first dibs on absolutely everything. On everything. Yeah, that's everything. right. That's how it should work. Um, yes. All right, so when you began your writing career with Three Wishes, social media was pretty much non-existent. And this idea of the author platform was, um, you know, it was probably confined to bookshop tours and that sort of stuff. Like, how do you feel about this idea that writers need to create this platform even as they write their first books? Um, well, I'm not a fan mm. uh, um, and I'm not sure why I'm not 
so for example Nicola so she's she's younger she's 15 years younger than me and she has taken her social media in her personal life as well yeah. um and she loves it and does it effortlessly uh but for me I'm, I find I'm just too uh, I yeah I don't like it uh, and I feel I do feel a little resentful of the pressure to be on Facebook and to be on Twitter which I'm not on Twitter uh but you I are on Facebook is that But correct? I am on Facebook and but I should also say so I I complain but at the same time I adore the fact that I have readers you know <laughs> I'm I love the fact that I they're saying nice things to me, so I don't complain about that. <laughs> uh, I'm pretty happy to get all my my needy, um, you know, um, well, my needy. All the self doubt is completely, you know, reinforced, isn't it? With, yes, with help exactly. And praise. Yeah, but so, then I'm I'm so slow at liking and commenting, and then because I only have, I think also because I only have such limited time at the computer screen. For me, I think I I, I need to write. I can't, and you could swallow up. I normally only have three or four hours, and I want to write in that time, not be sitting there responding to Facebook comments. Well, that's the thing. It, it is a time thing too. Like, mm-hmm. so you have a, I, th- I believe you have a website and you have um, Facebook, and that's is that fairly much what you? That, that's that, that's it. Oh, I have a are. blog that I, a blog that I never update. So. Oh, fabulous! <laughs> <laughs> yes, so that's not really the point. So, of that, blogging so. for yes. authors is not one of your things, shall we say? <laughs> no, it's not. But no. do you feel even in like you know, like you're um, you're established and successful? Do you still feel that? Is there still pressure for you to be doing it? Do you feel that? Uh, yeah, oh yes. Well, the publishers would like it. I mean, I have a I have a marketing degree. I understand. Uh, you know, I'm a product and if I, I'm sure if I'd, I'd been, um, if they had social media when I was in marketing, I would have, you know, been telling people to to use it. Uh, and, you know, you can lose, you can lose your readers. There's lots of competition out there. So, yeah, sure. I, I think I, I, my publishers would still prefer me to... To do it. To do it. Um, but that also prefer me to keep writing so I guess if yeah. it's a choice between that then they'll like the next book rather than um, yeah. yeah and I guess your limited time um you you um used to write uh for children as well as for adults but you mm. don't um do that anymore is that that's basically be, that's a time thing um in the sense that you have limited time and the adult fiction is working so well yeah the adult fiction just way outsold the the children's fiction so uh They'd like me to yes to focus on those books. So maybe one day in future years, maybe I'll I'll try my children's books again. But for for now, I'm focusing on the adult books. Yeah. Fair enough. So, do you um, read reviews, or do you? Ah, uh, oh, well, <laughs> <laughs> I could lie and say I never read them. Jackie, my sister Jackie, uh, uh, has much better willpower than me, um, and she just made the decision to not read them. Uh, but I still I still look in every now and then, but not as much as I did when I first started. All right. first started writing, and I know when a book first comes out. So when Big Little Lies first comes out, <clears throat> I'll be looking to see the initial response, the initial reaction. But I just quickly skim my eyes over, so right. so nothing hurts. I was going to say because it must be very difficult not to take it all to heart. Yes, definitely. Especially um, some people write reviews they're so angry with you <laughs> you want to say oh, 
sorry. I just I did my best. <laughs> <I was just laughs> it sounds so personal sometimes. Yeah. yeah. Well, I guess people have, you know, I guess everybody comes to a book with their own particular, every reader comes yeah. with their own experience and their own expectation, don't they? So you, and with so many more reader reviews out there now, it's not, you know, it's not just a, you know, a professional reviewer per se. It, it is. No. It is much more personal than it ever has been, isn't it? Yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Which I guess is something for everyone to bear in mind. <laughs> yes, yes. The best thing I think, I think really that, I mean, the reviews directly contradict each other, so it's it's pointless reading them. Really, yeah. um, you just have you. Yeah, I would advise to be, follow Jackie's rule and don't read them. <laughs> <laughs> we should all have Jackie's willpower. That's right, yeah. All right, so beyond not reading your own reviews, um, do you have three tips for aspiring authors? Uh, yes, so yes, don't read your reviews one day when they come out. Uh, number one, I think writing your first novel is like being on a diet. And so really you've got to have, uh, that's why, you know, programs like Weight Watchers and that are so successful, you've got to have something that keeps you going. Uh, so anybody can write the first chapter, but it's a really long task to, to finish it. So either join a writer's group or um, get a friend to become a writing partner, um, set up a contract with somebody, say, I promise I'll get you a chapter by such and such a date, that sort of thing. You've got to trick yourself into writing the first novel. Did you do that? No, well, I because I did a master's degree. That for me was, uh, yeah. but I, I may have been able to achieve the same thing by joining a writers' group. I was say Maybe you've got not. Home. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, I could I could have done that too. For, for me, the because I'd spent a lot of money on doing the master's degree, that helped. Yes. Too. So yes. you know, maybe do that. You had some skin a lot in the money. game. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, and secondly, so then just focus on the writing. Don't focus too much on the world of writing. It's not really, you know, don't focus on uh, all the little rules and whether it should be double-spaced or single-spaced yeah. and all that sort of thing. None of that actually matters is the writing. So I find it interesting how often writers, uh, aspiring writers, don't are uh, not actually writing. <laughs> They're spending a lot of time just you know going to events and yeah. reading websites about that sort of thing just first of all you've got to write yes. your book um is that two tips the that's two tip and you're doing brilliantly <laughs> the third tip could be once you're once you're um once you have your book written um don't read your reviews <laughs> <laughs> You're going to reiterate that, aren't you? That's, yeah, that's, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> the main focus you should take away from today's interview, do yeah, not read exactly. the reviews. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> it's fantastic. Okay, Leanne, well, thank you so much for talking to us today. I really appreciate your time. I will link uh, to your website and your Facebook page in the show notes, but you can find Leanne at leannemoriarty.com where she doesn't blog very regularly and but you will but find she does her on appreciate Fa your comments <laughs> and you will find her on facebook occasionally loving your comments yes, um, resentfully. <laughs> all right well thank you so much uh again and we uh yeah we really appreciate your time and good luck with the new book thank you so much Alison. my pleasure that was a great interview al I know it's great. I've I've I have interviewed Leanne in the past, and she's always been fantastic. And again, very. I think the thing that I find really interesting about all of these 
interviews that I do is just how generous authors yeah. are with their knowledge and what they what they're willing to share. And um, I think I think that's one of the nicest things about being part of the writing industry. Yeah, is that people are very very generous. But anyway, so what have you got to tell us about next? Uh, our web pick or app pick is actually something new and actually something I have yet to test. Ooh. But I think it's pretty interesting because it's about a um, new social network for authors called Tableau. That's T-A-B-L-O, T for Tom, T-A-B-L-O. And it's a cloud-based ebook publishing service and it only launched, oh, you know, last year. Um, but basically it's expanded and it's got, it, it says that it's already helping over 10,000 authors from 100 different countries build their readership as they write. So basically what it says that it's going to do is that it's a social network that will enable authors to create their own individual profiles with their biography, photo, all that kind of stuff. You can join different groups and it's meant to be a collaborative sort of environment and a collaborative process. And the um, founder or the person behind it, someone called Ash Davies, um, has basically said that uh, writing has traditionally been seen as a lonely endeavour. This combined with the sad reality that the vast majority of authors struggle to see their work ever published means that countless pages of writing from talented individuals are never shared or read by others. Tableau is changing that. Mm. Publishing a book in 2014 should not be the same as it was in 1914. (laughs) Yeah, fair enough. Yes, authors still put words on a page whether digital or paper, but an ambitious or talented writer shouldn't need a huge publishing deal to ensure their words are read. So I think that brings us, you know, full circle to our earlier comment is that technology can certainly enable you to reach a wider audience. And whether you put an ebook on Amazon or whether you put an ebook, you know, um, use something like Tableau, it's still really important, yes, to do your social media, but to ensure that it's the best it can be before you get there. So don't go nuts at this amazing new technology thinking that this is what's going to launch your publishing career um, before you actually make sure that you are really proud of what you're going to put out there. Absolutely and I think it's also worth mentioning that um, there's a similar um, site to with Tableau called Wattpad which yes. has actually proven to be quite useful for some authors in being discovered yes. um, but you really need to think about uh, where you're putting your words and what you're doing with them because, you know, you can't put everything up on the internet and then assume that a publisher is going to want to publish the story if it's yes. been available for free. So think carefully about what you're sharing as part of what you're doing. You don't have to put the whole novel up there. Maybe you put a short story related to the novel. Maybe you do something different. But, you know, be strategic with what you're, with what you're doing and what you're uploading to the internet. I think that's really important. But I've got a bit of breaking news. Oh, I, I have. I've got breaking news. Break the news. So, Leanne Moriarty um, has just recently, like two seconds ago, posted on her Facebook page that the film rights for her new book, Big Little Lies, which we've just discussed in our in our um, interview, yes. have been optioned by Nicole Kidman and Reese Witherspoon, who oh are looking God. at producing the film and starring in it together. Oh, my God. Well, Goodness me. Well done, Leanne. Go, Leanne. So exciting. Love it. Go That's as the authors. fantastic. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. How was that? I love – I just felt a little bit special there breaking that news. Yeah. Anyway. Can't um, wait to see it. No, me either. So um, now have you got a working writer's tip for us this week, Val? I do. Somebody asked me this question yesterday and I thought it was worthwhile sharing. Um, so they're, you know, getting into travel writing. They've had a few, quite a number of travel articles, um, you know, successfully pitched and published. And they asked me if I were to pitch the same travel story to the same destination, 
to a second publication after it's been accepted by the first one, do I need to mention to the second editor that it's already going to be published in the first publication? So why don't you, I mean, I, have, I already gave her my answer, but why don't you go on your take on that, Al? Well, my take on that would be that if they are direct competitors, then you shouldn't be p- pitching it to another publication at all. Mm-hmm. That would be my first point, particularly yes. not if it's exactly the same story. <laughs> And if you are going to be pitching it to a story to a to a magazine that's not a competitor that's quite different, then you probably need to be writing a completely different story anyway. Yes. That would be my thoughts because you know that you can't. It's it's not like just the multi pitch situation where you just sort of bang it out there and hope something happens. Um, you need to tailor your pitches and tailor your stories to the publications. Otherwise, no. Um, that's my thought, but you may have a different take on that. I agree one hundred percent. Yay! I'm, but I'm also going to add. That, but if you were particularly lazy, which I right. hope you're not, and if you're particularly lazy and you, for some reason, can't be bothered writing the story all over again, uh, again from scratch, which you should, mm. and you really wanted to publish the exact same story with the exact same words to a different non-competitive publication, then you absolutely need to have the decency to tell them that it has been published before for sure. Um, but avoid that altogether by pitching an entirely different story. And then, yes. you know, and if they're not competitive, it doesn't really matter whether you know whether you tell them or not, because it's an entirely different article that's got, that you're pitching to them. And the other thing I would say, and I did do this myself as a new freelancer, and I would never do it again, is that be very very sure of the publication date of the first article. Yeah. So if you pitch it and it's and it's commissioned and bought etc by one publication and you're thinking it's going to come out in the April issue mm. and then you pitch it to another publication for a June issue mm. and publication 1 does not publish it in April mm-hmm. but holds it over until June you are going to find yourself in a very very messy situation. Yeah. And I've done that and trust me I would never do yeah, absolutely. It, okay. didn't, it didn't end well. No. <laughs> I know, it was such a mistake, but I was new and fresh. What did I know? <laughs> I knew nothing. I knew nothing. A guy I know who was new and fresh um, sent the same travel story on Turkey to uh, the Sunday Age as well as the Herald Sun on Sunday because um, they have they had large travel sections. Um, and they both published the exact same story on the exact same day. <laughs> oh, Needless so, to say, he did not get paid and he did say, not get to write for them for another he's 10 never, years. <laughs> I was going to say never worked for them again. I mean, that's the thing. You just get – I mean, you know, it's it's all about relationships and, and building strong relationships and, you know, if you wouldn't do that to a fr- – you know, you just – you've got to be really sensible. You know, you want, you want people to trust you and know that you're reliable and that you will do the right thing. So, as I said, once you've done it once, you will never, ever do it again. Trust me. Yep. <laughs> On that happy note, let's move on. Thinking about anyway. Thank you for those of you who have left reviews on iTunes. We really appreciate it. You know, we love hearing your feedback, and it really does help us with our rankings. So, thank you so much for that. If you have a question you'd like us to answer, feel free to email us podcast at writerscentre.com.au. Uh, you can find the show notes at writerscentre.com.au slash podcast. Alison, where can we find you? 
You can find me at alisontate.com. And you can find me at valeriekoo.com. So uh, before we sign off, what will, you, what will you be up to in the coming week apart ah. from procrastinating puppying? Well, looking pro- after with procrastinating puppy, I am going to be sitting out in the backyard and I will be reading Leanne Moriarty's Big Little Lies because it is the Pink Fibro Book Club book selection of the month. Um, I know. So I'm quite excited. I, I, I went out and bought it this morning. I'm ready to go. Um, so I'm looking forward to that. And I'm going to put a link to the Pink Fibro Facebook group in the show notes because um, it's growing and it's very exciting. So if anyone wants to join us, they should definitely do so. Wonderful. And you, what are you going to be doing? What am I going to be doing? Uh, tomorrow I'm actually having a session with a presentations coach. Oh. Um, yeah, because, you know, we've we talked about this one time before. Yeah, we've, ha- we've, we've spoken about the fact that, you know, as authors you often have to speak at, a, at writers' festivals or do talks in bookshops and um, author talks and that sort of thing, and it can be useful to get a few tips here and there. So I strongly recommend it if it's something that you, you know, feel you can benefit from. Is that something that you do often though? Because I mean, I've seen you present and you're very confident and extremely accomplished. Why, why are you doing coaching? Because you can always improve. See, that's the thing I love about you. Always. (laughs) You You make people cry and you're positive. (laughs) (laughs) You don't know what you don't know. That's right. Yeah. So, and I and I truly believe that even when you feel like you've vaguely got something under control, you still don't know what you don't know. So, always ask your advice from somebody who's you know better (laughs) than you at it. Um, And on that note, thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Bye. 